Welcome to Motherhood in Hollywood, episode 190. I'm Heather Brooker. My guest today is Sarah Moshman. She is an award-winning documentary filmmaker with a really powerful message and great stories to tell. You guys are going to enjoy that interview with her. But first, let's talk about Spring Free Trampoline. As you know, Spring Free Trampoline is the sponsor of the Motherhood in Hollywood podcast. And you've heard me talking about them now for a few months. It's almost Christmas time. If you are thinking about getting a spring-free trampoline, now is the time to do it. You can save up to $549 right now during their holiday sale. You still have plenty of time to get it shipped to your house. If you're in Southern California, head to, uh, in San Diego in particular, you can go to Playground Warehouse. They actually sell them there in the store. I believe they even have some set up where you can go and check it out. Maybe give it a little bouncy-bouncy uh, and see how you like it. Uh, you've heard me talking about how much we love uh, Spring Free. It has really livened up our backyard and our family time. We go out there and play basketball with Channing. We play games. We do double bouncing, play popcorn, all of that fun stuff. And what's great about Spring Free is it is the world's safest trampoline. And it comes, each one comes with a 10-year warranty. So it is an investment in your family, in your fun. And um, if you want to save money, now's the time to do it, guys. Head on over to springfreetrampoline.com right now to find out how you can take advantage of their holiday sale. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Come on, mama. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. I am tired. I have been up since 3 o'clock this morning. Today was the announcement of the Golden Globes, um, and I had to be there to cover it for NBC Los Angeles. And, whew. I have not had to get up at three in the morning for a very, very long time. So I am hurting and there is definitely a nap in my future, but not until after I eat this bowl of French onion dip and bag of ruffles. Uh, living my best life, friends. <laughs> anyway, I hope you're doing well. I am very excited about my guest today. My guest is an award-winning documentarian. Um, I know that sounds so fancy. I feel like really like lucky to have someone so um, acclaimed on my show, guys, on my little podcast. Uh, Sarah Moshman is is going to be on the show today, and she's going to be talking about her documentaries that focus on female empowerment and women's issues and Me Too, Time's Up, um, uh, women doing extraordinary things. There is a lot of wonderful things um, she has to share, and she's also a mom, and she's going to talk about how being uh, a documentary filmmaker relates to her um, and motherhood. So you guys are really going to enjoy that. But first, <laughs> hi, how are you? I am uh, busy this week. Lots of fun things going on. I'm planning the motherhood in Hollywood ugly sweater swag party. And I'm so thrilled. Um, this is one of my slowly becoming like one of my favorite traditions. This is my third year to do sort of a holiday swag party. And, um, last year, uh, we got a little crazy and things got wild this year. I expect maybe a little of the same. <laughs> um, we're going to have some food. I've invited over, um, just some people who have supported motherhood in Hollywood, who have supported me, who, um, really, you know, 
maybe they're not necessarily influencers or celebrities or anything like that, but they definitely um, enjoy a good time. And I, you know, I think sometimes in this world of LA, all the time in the world of LA, people are obsessed with celebrity. People are obsessed now with influencers. Channing and I went to an influencer event on Sunday with um, cats and there was TikTok stars and YouTube stars and, um, you know, influencers all over. And I just think sometimes it's just nice to surround yourself with people who don't care about that stuff. Um, but who still enjoy to buy products who enjoy looking at new things and trying new things. So, um, the whole impetus behind the swag parties started because I feel really blessed. Um, after starting motherhood in Hollywood, because a lot of companies, a lot of brands send me products and I get to try them. I get to check them out. I get to share about them on my social media channels. Um, but what's happened and started to happen is that I just was getting so much stuff that it didn't feel right to just keep everything. And also, I mean, I'm just one person. I couldn't keep all of the stuff that I get sent or use all of the stuff um, that I get sent. And um, so this is my way of sharing it in some some small way, being able to share these items, um, with my friends and with my motherhood in Hollywood community. So everybody comes to the party, they get a giant stocking to fill up with all of the swag that they want. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I should really turn off my phone when I'm doing my podcast, Heather. It's only been 190 episodes. You think I would have learned by now. Um, but I'm so excited because everybody that comes is going to have the opportunity to win their very own spring free trampoline, which is so awesome. Spring free is amazing for donating a trampoline to this party. So I'm thrilled about that. Also, everybody is going to leave with some Boda Box wine. Have you heard about Boda Box? It is more than just good wine. It is, um, it's, it's environmentally friendly. The packaging is 100% recyclable, whether it's the little mini Tetra packs that they have or um, the actual uh, three liter Boda box wine um, that you have. All of the boxes, they say, create 85% less landfill waste than a traditional glass packages like glass bottles and things like that. And um, all of it is printed on 100% recyclable consumer, post-consumer fiber. Hmm, I love that. So not only can you get your buzz on, but you can also help the environment. Yay. Drinking has never been more fun. Um, <laughs> also want to mention clean canteen. So if you are like me and you're always wanting to take a bottle of water or pop or coffee or something with you when you're on the go, Clean Canteen is such a wonderful option. They have these beautiful canisters, all different shapes and sizes. Some have spouts, um, some have twisty tops, some comes with straws. Um, they are insulated containers and they are so cute and colorful and um, you can get them in a variety of colors. And all of the guests from Motherhood and Hollywood Swag Party are going to be going home with a clean canteen. Yay! So cool. Thank you guys so much to Clean Canteen and Boda Box and Spring Free for supporting Motherhood in Hollywood and um, the Motherhood in Hollywood community. All right, you guys, that's going to do it for me in my mommy monologue. I want to wrap it up because I want to get to this interview with Sarah Moshman. She has a wonderful story and helps women and other uh, other women tell their stories as well. So here is my interview with Sarah Moshman.
We are diving into documentary filmmaking today with an award-winning, Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker. This is Sarah Moshman. Hi, Sarah. Hi. I am so thrilled to talk with you. I've been literally deep diving into your work. Um, and I loved reading the article that you wrote about uh, when filmmaking and motherhood collide. And I think we have a lot of uh, crossover feelings about motherhood and about this industry. Um, I want to get started with your uh, most recent documentary, Nevertheless, um, and how all of that came to be. I know we've all heard the phrase, nevertheless, she persisted. Um, yeah. Was that sort of what inspired this documentary? Um, not so much. I just love that phrase as like a protest, you know, slogan. We see it so often at protests. And so I just knew that that was a powerful sentiment. And so I decided to call this film nevertheless, because I love how that encapsulates a lot of things. Like really, if you split up the word, it's like, we are never less than like, we are never the less, but also it's also to me an acknowledgement of, yes, we've come far, but nevertheless, we still have so far to go. And that's really the film is all about sexual harassment in the workplace. And so I felt like that would be an appropriate title to kind of say, yeah, it's bad, but we've got a band together to, to make it better. So nevertheless, we just, just, just finished. We haven't premiered it anywhere. So it's, um, it's available for screenings in workplaces and schools and organizations, really anyone that's interested in having this dialogue in their community uh, through IndieFlix, which is a wonderful distributor based out of Seattle. And with their help, we're really starting to, you know, continue this conversation about sexual harassment in the workplace. And why was this something uh, you wanted to talk about? What was this, um, the impetus for this? Yeah, so uh, this kind of all started for me when I was pregnant, actually. I was about six months pregnant, and I was standing in front of my apartment building with my husband, and our neighbor came up to us, um, someone who's like, you know, white, cisgendered, straight, guy that lived in our building, like a married guy that kind of babysat our dogs sometimes. So someone we liked. And he came up to us and very innocently asked, do you know what you're having, a girl or a boy? And at the time we didn't know yet. And we said, you know, we're, we're hoping for a girl, but we're good with whatever, as you keep, as you always say. Mm -hmm. um, and so this guy, without skipping a beat, the first thing he thought to say to us when we said we hope to have a girl was, um, you know, it's fine. If you end up having a girl, all you have to do is think about that someday someone's going to fuck your daughter and then it's fine. And we were just so shocked and confused. And I think we both froze. This is in front of both my husband and I, and I'm six months pregnant. And the first thing this guy thinks to say to us about, about potentially having a daughter is that she's going to have sex someday. I mean, and by the way, that wasn't what he said. It was that it was going to happen to her. Yes. Yeah. And that she would have no agency the way he said it. So it was just so deeply troubling. And unfortunately, that really stripped a lot of the joy out of the moment when days later we did find out we were going to be having a girl. Um, you know, I was really excited and overwhelmed. And so much of my work is based in female empowerment as a filmmaker. And my husband was so excited and he was crying. But it just something about that moment really shifted for me. And maybe that's when I really became a mother is when I realized I would have to be responsible for this person coming into the world, girl or boy, of course, but there's something different. There's, there's a different set of responsibilities and weight that comes with being female. And I just, I think that's what really brought it home for me. And so I started to think about and, and process all the times in my career and in my life, certainly when I had been sexually harassed um, and didn't have a voice or felt like I couldn't speak up. 
And something was certainly in the ether at that point in our country. This was 2017. Um, and so I started doing some research and thinking more about sexual harassment. That was the summer that the Uber story came out about Susan Fowler. So certainly this was like on the tip of all of our tongues. Um, and then um, I, I organized some interviews. I did 16 um, on-camera interviews with sexual harassment training prevention specialists and diversity and inclusion managers and brave women willing to share their story. And I wasn't really sure what it was that I was making yet. I just knew that I wanted to ask questions and that I was curious and felt like I had this mission all of a sudden before she got here, even though I knew I wouldn't finish the film in that time. Mm -hmm. um, and sure enough, our very first shoot day was October 4th, 2017. And the Weinstein story broke on October 5th, 2017. So the timing was really crazy and humbling and overwhelming and confusing. Um, but I just kept chugging along and sure enough, you know, hashtag me too was around that same time. And so it just was undeniable that this was a huge issue and still is, um, for millions and millions of women and men, but, but obviously the majority women. Um, and I just knew that there was something that I would, I would need to try to say to the world and what, what could I bring to this? And whose stories could I tell to have, help exemplify the issue? So, um, yeah, my daughter just turned two and we just finished the film. So it's really been over over a two year journey to make Nevertheless. And what would you say are some of the things that you uncovered? Um, because we're hearing so many stories and we have been hearing stories over the past years. Women are starting to feel more empowered and stepping forward and saying, this is not okay. This happened to me. Um, what are some of the things that you uncover and that you found in your documentary? Yeah, I think that the main kind of thesis statement of the film is really that we can't continue to focus on, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And these headlines that we continue to read are all about these, you know, men in power that have done a bad thing. And how are they going to you know, make up for this bad thing that they've done. And none of these articles and stories really focus on the deeper, harder issues underneath all of that. And that's what Nevertheless is really about. It's about the underlying systematic issues that are in place that don't, you know, that perpetuate this behavior that make us all, including women, complicit in some way. So um, we spotlight seven different stories of individuals, men and women, and we have we have a trans woman of color as well, um, who have experienced sexual harassment, gender discrimination, sexual assault, and even rape in or around the workplace. And we do have one student story as well. So there's a school story. Um, and really, those seven stories show such different parts of what is happening and obviously could never be an exhaustive representation of the entire issue. But we really cover so many different parts of it from we have a tech CEO who, who was harassed in her apartment with alcohol involved by a venture capitalist who she was trying to raise money from and all the blurred lines that come with that. We have um, someone who was a writer's assistant on one of the biggest television shows of all time who had a hostile work environment in the writer's room. We have a 911 dispatcher who was assaulted while she was on a 911 call trying to save someone's life and how that subsequently really ruined her career. Um, we have a middle school student who fought a really sexist dress code and, and much more. And so between those seven stories is like a chorus of experts who talk about the systematic issues in place. And what, what I mean by that is, well, first of all, our legal system is certainly not set up for reporting harassment as well as you know seeking actual justice between the statute of limitations as well as the definition of sexual harassment needs some work in our in our courts 
Um, we talk about socialization of our girls and boys. Like, what are we what are we teaching our girls and boys at such, such a young age that you know, in some ways, can lead to this kind of behavior in this kind of world we live in? We talk about toxic masculinity and how that doesn't really serve anybody. Um, and sort of this idea of like manning up and being unemotional and, and being sexually aggressive can, can harm, um, men and women. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that we discuss in the film. We also talk about intersectionality, race, privilege. So there's a lot of factors at play here. This is not an easy issue to discuss and in no way could nevertheless like tie this up in a neat bow and be like, here, we solved it. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but it, it presents a lot that I think people can unpack and, and take with them and, and learn from. So that's an exciting part of being a filmmaker is like this intersection of activism and storytelling. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the storytelling that you do. Like there's definitely a theme to the documentaries that you've, that you've done. And what is it about telling stories about women um, that you're so drawn to? Yeah, I mean, so Nevertheless is really my third feature-length documentary. I have two other films. Um, One is called The Empowerment Project, Ordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things. And my second feature film is called Losing Sight of Shore. And all three films really focus on how to make the world a better, more equal place for women and spotlighting women's stories that are ordinary women doing extraordinary things seems to continue to be a theme for me. Um, I think for me, it comes from a place of really just seeing in our media this lack of representation. You know, where are all the strong, flawed, complex female stories? You know, there's more and more every day, thankfully, because more and more women are getting behind the camera and and refusing to sit on the sidelines and telling their stories. And that's really, really inspiring. But we need more. There's just like there's there's not an equal landscape for female creators, for female, for actresses. And certainly even in documentaries, there's just such a gap that we're seeing, you know, women are often over-sexualized and objectified and ignored altogether. Um, And it's really disheartening because the media is so unbelievably influential to who we are as people, whether we like it or not. And so to think of little girls growing up and not seeing all the incredible female role models that I see all around me all the time um, was really heartbreaking to me. And so I've just dedicated the work that I do to trying to to close that gap as, alongside so many other incredible filmmakers doing the same. Have you had any challenges at all in getting distribution for films with these kind of subject matters? Or do you find that um, men are in charge of making the decisions? Are they more open? Are they less open? Or what about women who are making these kinds of decisions to um, distribute women-centric films? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an uphill battle no matter what, truly. I mean, any filmmaker will tell you how hard it is to get good distribution for their project. I think what I've learned as an independent filmmaker from so many you know, times going through this now is that you can't look for someone to come in and swoop in and save the day. It's not about that. It's not about, you know, the cavalry isn't coming, as Mark Duplass, the filmmaker, would say. Um distribution is not something you get, it's something you do. So thinking about distribution as something to participate in as a filmmaker is so unbelievably important, especially for someone like me and filmmakers and at this independent sort of level, when you don't have the marketing dollars to back it up. I mean, even if you get a quote distribution deal, um, if you don't have money to let people know that it's there, no matter what platform it's on, then nobody's gonna see it. So it's, it's really about having that grassroots marketing you know, tools in your belt and being able to get the word out about what you're doing, no matter what kind of deal you make. 
Um, I think we have just been forced to get creative, like with the empowerment project. Um, that's just such a, actually a really interesting case study because that film was made for like next to nothing. And it's all about inspiring women all over the United States. We, you know, we had no marketing budget whatsoever, but we worked with Indie Flicks, the same distributor I'm working with for Nevertheless. And with their help, we screened that film in schools and groups and organizations and corporations all over the world. Um, it's slower, harder work, but it's so much more impactful. And I'm so grateful that we had the wherewithal to work with a company like that, because had we just put it on iTunes or Amazon and hope that people found it, we would have we made like $10 <laughs> and nobody would have seen it. Um, and that film has grossed hundreds of thousands of dollars and made impact all over the world and um, is still screening six years later. So um, it's just really important that you pay attention to who your audience is and, and go and access that audience. With Losing Side of Shore, that's a film about four women who rowed a boat across the entire Pacific Ocean um, from America all the way to Australia. And so that one had such a different path. I always wanted that one to have this international audience. And I thought, ooh, Netflix is like my number one choice for that film. I really hope we get a deal with them. And I didn't get into any of the big festivals with that film. I didn't have like a celebrity EP on board or any big funding. I, I had to, you know, push a boulder up a mountain as I always do to get the film done. But sure enough, like story really won in that scenario. And I, I finally found a great sales agent and then that person helped me and I did make a deal with Netflix. So that film is available in 190 countries and subtitled in 25 languages. And it's just been unbelievable to see how many people respond to that film simply by it being on the Netflix platform. So um, yeah, every film kind of commands its own strategy and you have to be savvy and paying attention to the landscape. Um, I will say it's always, always hard going into a room filled with men and you're trying to pitch a female centric story that just doesn't get easier. Um, I and mean, how do they respond to you? Do they, are they more cautious about how they respond now or have you noticed any sort of shift in those rooms that's definitely a part of the the journey that is challenging is that so many of the gatekeepers continue to be men and no matter how woke they are or how much of them you know they fancy themselves a feminist um it's just always hard to relay how important these stories are to tell when then they just don't know firsthand so um, hopefully that's changing. We need more women in positions of leadership. You know, we need more women on the other side of that table, green lighting projects and saying, yes, this is important. We want to share this. Um, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely an uphill battle. And truly that's why with nevertheless, as I go into distribution now, um, you know, I'd certainly love it to have a wider audience with like a Netflix or Hulu or HBO down the road. But when I think about who I want to see, nevertheless, I really want men to see it. Of course, I want women to see it. Of course, we'll go to women's groups and women's organizations. But then I'm just preaching to the choir, right? You know, if I really want the film to make change, then who are largely the perpetrators of sexual harassment? It's men. Mm -hmm. And who who are really going to be the ones to move the needle? It's men. Like if men, if women wanted to if women could have won, quote, won the fight for equality, it would have happened forever ago. Like we wouldn't still be trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. It's ridiculous. So we need men as allies. We need men at the table. We need everyone to take part in this movement for things to really change. And so the more I think about how to be effective with nevertheless, it's to go to workplaces. It's to get in front of men. It's to get in front of everybody in schools and in organizations and really start conversations instead of just throwing it up on any platform and hoping that men discover it because 
I've got the perfect uh, focus group here at home being married to a straight white man. <laughs> it's sort of like my husband is like the exact person I would want to see nevertheless in essence. And is he going to watch it on a Friday night? Absolutely not. So <laughs> it's like thinking, thinking like a marketer and thinking like, you know, with the grassroots distribution hat on, like how do you actually reach the people that need to see it the most? And that might be harder, slower work, but it's really important. And uh, yeah, and ultimately worth it. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite pictures on your website is you holding camera in one hand and holding I, what I'm assuming is your daughter in the other yes. hand. <laughs> okay, yes. good. Um, that's really, really precious and very telling of how um, women can still have a, a very thriving career in the entertainment industry and still um, be a mom. I think for so long, um, women put motherhood on hold or it was never an option. Um, and I read again in the article that you wrote, I also was a woman who never thought I would have kids. I kind of thought, oh, if it happens, it happens, but it's not yeah. something I'm, I'm striving for um, until I was <laughs> when I hit my like mid thirties and I was like, Oh, I, I better do this if I'm going to do it. Right. <laughs> um, and so I would love to hear about your decision to become a mom. And were you at all worried that it would have uh, an effect on your career? Oh, definitely. I, I worry about it every day, even today. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think for me, having accomplished a couple things in my career that I was really proud of made me feel more ready. Um, after I had finished my second film, Losing Sight of Shore, and we had like made the deal with Netflix, I was like, oh, wow, okay, things are going good. Like, I feel like I have some a leg to stand on of, of being proud of what I've done. And I think I have a lot more that I want to do. So maybe now would be a good time. And um, and also just being married to my husband, Ryan, was a huge reason why I wanted to become a mother because I wanted to become to watch him become a father. Like he's such a great partner. And I knew I had kind of picked the right guy and that he would be there for me and I wouldn't be alone. Um, just sort of all that kind of came together and we decided to, to give it a shot. And um, and our, our daughter's name is Bryce. And it's it's been an incredible journey. But of course, it's it's also so unbelievably difficult, um, especially trying to work. I think there's such a enormous pressure um, on women, you know, whether it's self-imposed or from other moms or society, I'm not really sure where this monster of guilt comes from, but, <laughs> um, it can be, it can be really, really tough when the two roles, you know, are at odds with each other. And I feel like, you know, she's not napping when she needs to, or she won't sleep or she's sick, or she's just having a tantrum for no reason. You know, like I'm very practical and logical and motherhood is none of those things. Um, there's so many times where I'm like, what do you need? How can I help you? And, and she just isn't communicating with me. Obviously she's now just starting to talk a lot. Um, so I, it's funny. I, I'm like just now really deeply reflecting on the last two years and cause she just turned two. And I think I've really kind of overcorrected, like, especially in the film business where you don't have a steady job, you don't have a steady income. You're kind of always needing to be picked or, you know, you're working on something that you're trying to get people to get excited about. There's just so much, you know, that I need to show to other people that I'm capable of. And so that was really, really tough, especially the first year wanting to be like, yeah, I'm a mom and I love being a mom. I'm trying my best at being a mom, but I'm still here. I'm still a filmmaker. Like, don't count me out. Like that was like sort of like this inner dialogue for me. It was like, don't forget about me. Don't count me out because there's definitely this huge fear that if you slow down or that if people think you're focused on motherhood, then you're not going to be seen as a filmmaker anymore. And that was like really, really difficult 
for me. And it's also just, by the way, really hard as if I was 32, I'm 33 now. And, and your career is kind of like just taking off. Like mm-hmm. things are finally happening. Like I sold my film to Netflix. Like finally I'm sort of, people are coming to me and being like, would you like to work on this? Or are you interested in that? And I'm like, wait, 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 you know, like it, why does it all have to happen at the same time? Um, and it's just maddening because there's never a good time, I think, to have a kid and you never sure. feel ready. Um, so yeah, I, there's no, there's no eloquent way to put it. It's just really, really hard to do both, but it's worth it to me because I honestly feel the most myself as a filmmaker and, and making something and honestly, nevertheless, really kind of saved me. I I didn't have formally postpartum depression, I don't think, but I definitely had a lot of dark days and feelings of like loneliness as, as all of us moms do and, and doubt and guilt. And I think having this project to work on and having something to feel value about and like, Oh, well I'm directing this film and what do I think is best and who should I interview and where should we travel to? And what am I trying to say to the world amidst all this like fog of new motherhood, I think was actually really healthy for me and not for everyone. Certainly. But for me, it felt really good to have something to pick up and put down and and feel like, oh, that's still Sarah. She's still here instead of getting so lost in all the motherhood stuff. I could not agree with you more. I think for me, it's um, very much the same way. I needed to keep creating and to keep working in some way and... um, uh, going on auditions because I'm also an actor and oh great um I just there's just something to it and 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 like you said not everybody is that way some people um really thrive on it on the day-to-day routine of motherhood and and that's fine too I mean whatever whatever gets you through it and whatever feeds you mentally and emotionally I'm a big fan of that um Absolutely. I, I would love to know, um, you're, you've done mostly documentaries and unscripted work. Um, are you ever interested in doing any scripted work? Do you feel like there's any stories that you could turn into a scripted series? Is that appealing at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely, I've studied narrative filmmaking, you know, I did some in high school and then in college and film school. I absolutely see that as a part of my future. I think a a great transition would be if I found a true story that could be adapted into a narrative film. Mm -hmm. I think that would be like a really lovely way to go from one to the other. And there's so many great programs I want to apply for, for female directors. So yeah, I see that as something I'm, I'm kind of aiming towards. I need to, I need to truly find like a great short film script that I can wrap my head around and film and shoot sometime and put it together so that I have something as like a calling card for what I'm capable of in the narrative space. Cause all my narrative samples are a bit outdated. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love to, I, I see it all as storytelling. It's definitely a different skill set, but I think I could bring a lot of what I've learned from documentary storytelling and, and bring it to narrative. So yeah. Have you found that since becoming a mom, your creative headspace has sort of opened up a little bit more where you feel like, oh, I can do this or oh, I want to do this. And you find yourself pushing a little bit more to try new things. I know that that's what happened with me. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But also just like a different motivation. Like I never I probably wouldn't have made. Nevertheless, I certainly wouldn't be working on this postpartum depression comedy special hybrid without knowing a little bit about what it's like. I think that's exciting is that like motherhood brings this whole new tool kit of empathy, you know, and just your ability to connect with other moms. I love that. Like when I work, I just worked for um, Ellen's digital network. I, I directed a series called Fempire, which is all about supporting female entrepreneurs. And so many of the women that work at Ellen digital are moms. And it was just so lovely 
to be reporting to other moms and having so much in common and they wanted to make it home at night to be with their kids. And so I never felt guilty about being like, I gotta go. She goes, she goes to bed by seven, (laughs) you know, like it's so freeing when women are in positions of leadership and you can be honest about what you need to like create that balance in your life. So yeah, it's a, it's exciting to work with other moms. And, and I think it's just given me just a whole new set of, of tools of empathy that I want. I was just thinking the other day, I was like, wow, I really want to learn more about stay at home dads and like fatherhood and masculinity. And like that stuff really interests me too. And I probably wouldn't have opened my brain to those things without being a mom myself. So definitely I've always been like a a really hard worker and I want a lot for my career and I have high expectations for myself, but having her and and also wanted to show her like being her role model. Although I feel guilty when I leave and like I'm working a lot and I travel a lot for work, I still feel like, you know, at some point she's going to realize that that's what women can do and that women can, you know, have goals and dreams and career aspirations and, and that she'll see that I'm modeling that behavior for her. So at some point, I think that'll be a really positive thing too. Yeah. And I love the idea that having more women in the business, more women in positions of power, more women telling stories like this, um, can only lead to a better future for our children because I have a daughter too. She's six years old. And, um, she, uh, she also asks me sometimes, you know, she sees what I do for my job, but I don't, think she really thinks it's work. <laughs> you know, she's awesome. been, she comes with me to auditions and she sees that I get to play funny, silly characters. And then she sees that I talk a lot in front of the camera, you know? And so yeah. for her, it probably looks like um, I'm playing a lot. So she has a lot of questions, but she knows that it's my job and it's important for me to have her see me work. So yeah, I, exactly. um, yeah I completely understand that. And I love the idea of this, you know, feeding future generations. So it's wonderful. And also for dads to be at home, you know, like my husband works as well. We have both kind of like flexible, somewhat schedules. We somehow every day, every week figure it out, but mm-hmm. also for him to be nurturing and loving and, and at home with her a lot too. Like that's just as important for men to feel equal at home as women to feel equal out in the world. So it's like, it's really, there's two sides to that equation, obviously with a heterosexual couple, but um, to see men, you know, in that nurturing caregiving role is super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love, um, everything that you're talking about and everything that you're doing. And I'm going to put, um, a lot of information up about your projects up on motherhoodandhollywood.com. And, um, I will make sure that we share, um, uh, on social media as well. Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the Thank time you. to talk with me. I appreciate it. All right, you guys, that's going to do it for me. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Remember, I'm not a perfect mom, but I can play one on TV. Bye. Mama funny. Balls.